Welcome to the Federal Retirement Podcast. My name is David Rates, and I'm here with Gary Rates. In this episode, we will be discussing whether you should consider postponing retirement in a volatile market. We'll discuss what you should do if you plan on retiring in the near future, as well as potential strategies you can implement. This discussion is part of our monthly Lunch and Learn series. To join these discussions live, you can visit the Benchmark Financial Group website at bfgkc.com and register to take part in these discussions. Also, be sure to listen until the end to learn how to make sure retirement is on the right track. Let's get started. Well, thanks for tuning in to this month's call. The topic for this month is, should you postpone retirement in a volatile market? And I, I always say, so when you're thinking about federal benefits, your pension's pretty mechanized, the, the supplemental piece or Social Security is pretty mechanized, where you have the most flexibility is money that you'd, you'd have spinning off of TSP, IRAs, or 401ks. But that being said, you don't necessarily have to have this magic number in TSP to have the green light to retire. I think the big thing is just being strategic about the, the timing of withdrawals and coming to peace with the fact that if you want to take advantage of the upside in the market, you're going to have to stomach periods of time where things are a little volatile. But knowing that you, over the long term, if you look at things as a strategic investor, you're going to have more up years than you have down years. It's just the market doesn't trend at a 45 degree angle. So something to keep in the back of your mind when you're, you're thinking about all the pieces of the pie when it comes to retirement. All right. This first slide is the, the same as it always is. It's our disclaimer that's saying we're trying to be as accurate as possible and not make any guarantees about anything. So in a nutshell, that's what uh, the old disclaimer is there for. So, all right. We thought it'd be prudent to uh, include just a snapshot of geopolitical events tied to market volatility. And it's important to Keep in mind that over the past 50 years, the market declines tied to geopolitical events tend to last between two and 27 days. Now, that's not to say that they're all exactly the same, but they don't tend to be huge prolonged uh, issues for the market. And the recovery time is typically pretty quick. So uh, the market right now, I don't think they, I mean, what's going on with Russia and Ukraine is always a concern, but it's the, the market's right now a little bit more concerned about what's going on with the inflation conversation and how that ties to whether or not the price of a gallon of milk is going to be double at some point in the near future, or whether or not these are just temporary price increases that are tied to have folks having a hard time finding people to work in the milk production plant or deliver those gallons of milk. So it's probably a, common, a combination of the two, but we're starting to see unemployment numbers take down. So it, it ought to be interesting to see more clarity on that topic going forward in the, the days and months to come. So I think if you take a few minutes, though, and just look at this chart, it, it'll surprise you that the, the number of incidents like this that have occurred and how long it took, the, how many trading days there were and how many, how many days it took to recover from those, those negative trades. And then the average return uh, that occurred as a result of that. So it takes a pretty scary situation to help you realize that it doesn't take long for the market to turn, but it takes on average on all these, these, these different events, it took 137 days of which the majority of those days were the first couple of years that they illustrate um, for the market to recover. That's significant. Especially when you talk specifically with Russia, I mean, they're an important player in the global economy, especially with, with energy and, and raw materials, but their entire economy is 
pretty much driven on exporting agricultural products, metals, and energy. So, I mean, the U.S.'s relationship with China is is a much bigger trading partner than Russia right now. So, it's it's always something, and it's going to impact the price of of gas and um, agricultural products temporarily. But um, there there are other other groups that we have a lot stronger ties to when it comes to trade. So. All right. Retiring in a market downturn, items to be aware of. So in a market downturn, you always want to keep in the back of your mind, you got to be strategic about when you'd hypothetically take money out for a withdrawal. So if you take, if you need to take a big withdrawal out when the market's down, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25%, that's going to have a, an, an impact on the, the time value of money going forward because you have to sell shares to generate the cash for the withdrawal. So if you have to sell shares when the market's down 25% or 35%, it's gonna have a lot bigger impact on you than if you have to sell shares when the market's you know, flat or uh, on an uptrend. So ideally you wanna, you wanna sell, if you're, you're trying to be as strategic as possible, sell when the market's at a high point, um, but you don't always have that luxury. So you, again, you gotta be strategic about setting aside money that's earmarked for emergencies or opportunities so you don't have to worry about selling stock shares when the market's down like it is uh, as of late. So tapping into a portfolio in a bad market can definitely permanently impact your your long-term ability to recover or just it creates a, a, a bigger uphill battle to recover that money that you you sold when the market was down. So, but there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of variables that are causing volatility in the market right now too. So, I mean, traditionally F fund would be considered like a safe haven. F and G are, are the two safe portfolios or the two safe fund options inside of TSP. But right now, year to date, F's down more than C fund is. So every time you hear this conversation about the Federal Reserve incrementally increasing inc- interest rates, that's slightly frustrating if you're an F fund investor because the share price of, of of your shares in that fund are going to go down in value every time we see half percentage increases or quarter percentage increases. So um, the G fund is really like the only, the only fund that's um, trending in the green year to date. And it's not necessarily blowing the socks off of growth to the plus side, but 0.44 to the plus side is better than negative anything. So, but year to date, F funds down about seven or 5.8%. C funds down about 4.6. S funds down 9% and change. And I fund is down 6.77%. So it's a, it's a, a bit of a difference from some of the growth that we've seen over the last couple of years, considering 2021 generated a 20, 28 percentage point gain to the plus side. And now we're, we're starting to see some volatility and some curveballs that we haven't gotten lately so but that's always going to be the case going back to that that conversation if you want to take advantage of the plus side gain potential in the marketplace it's not going to trend at a 45 degree angle and over the long haul you just need to come to peace with the fact that if you stay a strategic investor you're going to have more up years than you have down years but the big the big thing like we were saying a second ago is just not putting yourself in a spot where you'd have to sell stock shares or equity shares to generate the cash for withdrawal at the wrong time so Safely using your investments. So one of the key things that we talk to our clients about all the time is devising a strategic plan. So ideally, it'd be worthwhile to talk with an advisor that has seen some periods of time where 
the market's gone up and down and consider having enough money set aside for emergency opportunity cash that's available so you aren't stressed out about the timing of, of a withdrawal. So that's one of the one of the key things that we we spend a lot of time with folks on is is pinpointing what's the number that you need for monthly income and what's the number that you need for money that you know is is earmarked for emergency opportunity withdrawals that you don't necessarily have to worry about you know selling when the market's down temporarily temporarily like you'll you always run into periods of time where the market's going to be down for xyz reason so the biggest thing is just having a a chunk of money that you have easy access to that you don't have to worry about selling when the stock market's down and that number i mean it's different for everybody so it's really just it's it's whatever whatever amount gives you peace of mind in the back in the back of your head so that you can sleep at night comfortably it doesn't necessarily have to be like three months or six months or a year's worth of savings i mean it, it's really whatever number makes you the most comfortable and it's different for everybody so and devising a strategic plan. So establishing a strategic plan for income when you retire um, from your retirement savings accounts, like you're saying a second ago, is the name of the game and come to peace with the fact that you, this is a big one. All right. So come to peace with the fact that you can never control how market volatility overlaps with your income plan. You, you, I mean, you can put an income plan together and mix and match it a million different ways, but you can never really control how market volatility overlaps with that plan for income. So you, you build that into the process. How can you create a strategy if you're retiring in the near future? All right, so when we're working with people, it's usually a three-step process. The first meeting is, just, is information gathering and sharing. So we always have a list of, of identifying pieces of information that we wanna get from you. So when, when it comes to working with federal employees, you know, that'll be any estimates that you've gotten, DSP statements. Um, if you can't get uh, a retirement estimate from HR easily, the annual benefit statements always provide uh, quite a bit of information. But once we have that information, it allows us to be as accurate as possible in terms of putting together a written plan for you. So in that step two is... We, I always call it, we're going over version one of your plan. So we put together all these pieces of the pie and then tailor a specific investment strategy for you in addition to a pension, first supplement, or social security income. Going back to that idea where your pension is pretty mechanized, social security or the supplement is pretty mechanized, where you have the, the ultimate or the most flexibility is what you'd hypothetically do with TSP income or any retirement savings like TSP, IRA, 401ks. So, and it's a little different for everybody. I mean, some people like to have a maximum amount of monthly income rolling in. And some people like to have a specific amount of monthly income rolling in, knowing that they, they have easy access to these other accounts for emergency opportunity withdrawals to crop up. So it's like we were saying, it's a tailored process for everybody's individual unique situation. And even with the federal benefits, everybody has the same benefit package. It's just the application of it is different for everybody's individual unique situation. So I think what's really important too is, is that in that second meeting, you get a, your first written plan, which stays with you for the rest of your, your life. And it just gets updated on a consistent basis. So you constantly have a plan that's an active plan. And if you change your strategies or your thoughts, we have a record of that occurring and we have a, a way of going back and, and looking at what you've done in the past 
but by the same token, we've also given you a written plan to look forward to the future. And we always, and sometimes it feels like we harp on this topic, but it can be a little confusing and misleading when you're looking at those retirement estimates that you get from HR, because it'll just be an, a breakdown of what your pension number is going to look like. And they'll, they'll throw in an, a number for the first supplemental payment if you're, if you're in that early retirement scenario. But that's just two-thirds of the pie, really. You got to take into account pension, TSP, Social Security, or the supplemental payment, and then and then apply those numbers to all the deductions that you pay for as an active employee that go away at the point of retirement. I mean, most of the time, people are in a spot where the, the lion's share of their deductions as a retiree are health insurance and federal and state taxes. So, it, you know, it's easy to forget about once you retire, you're not paying TSP contributions anymore. You're not playing, you're not paying uh, first retirement contributions, Medicare tax, social security tax. A lot of those that you, you have go away. So oftentimes the net um, in terms of net monthly income is a lot closer than people think it is when they're just looking at that, that retirement estimate that they get from HR. So that, and when it comes to subsequent meetings, that's why you're saying, it, we always start with version one, but usually you're a lot of times it takes version two or version three by the time people pinpoint exactly what they want to do. And, and that's what we spend you know, the majority of our day doing, working with people and, and refining those plans and, and implementing those strategies and investing that money for people. So how about any, any questions? Gary, David, for that first meeting, what information does someone need to gather to bring to you? All right, so the the big ones would be, or the ones that probably would be the easiest to get your hands on, would be the annual benefit statement, just a recent leave and earning statement, TSP and Social Security. Those would be the the four main ones to get the ball rolling. And then, I mean, sometimes sometimes people have easy access to HR folks, and they'll they'll get those estimates back to them, you know, in a, in a few business days. But other times, the HR person they're, they're working with, it's almost like it'd be a, an email inbox a few states away and it might take a few months to get those estimates back so that being said it's always good to get the ball rolling with requesting those estimates but if if it's going to take like a forever and a day type of situation i wouldn't necessarily worry too much about it bring your investment statements from the investments you have one of the big ones that comes into play if we don't ask for it so we always ask for it is if you've got a divorce that occurred while you were a federal employee, we really need to see that document because it's going to have some information that's going to affect you in, in your retirements. So if you if you've had a divorce, we need to see that document as well. But like as long as we have those main identifiers, you know, benefit statement, social security statement, TSP statement, and leave and earning statement, that'll get the ball rolling. Any others, Patty? No. All righty. Well. Thanks for tuning into this month's call, everybody. I hope you've enjoyed today's topic. If you're looking for assistance to get your retirement on the right track, set up an appointment with us today. You can schedule an appointment online by visiting our website at bfgkc.com, or you can email me at david.rates at bfgkc.com. The contact information will also be listed in this description. By setting up a complimentary consultation, we can review your financial situation and develop a plan to meet your financial goals.